family is all that lives in sight and sound, touch and taste. Live, come on, be human and give, give, give. <laughs> the Woodstock Roundtable welcomes you to be a part of being human. Aho! Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Woodstock Roundtable. Doug Grunthe, your host, and we look forward to welcoming some expert, an expert in aromatherapy, a sports journalist, the Sultan of Sonic's August Mancini with some good jazz, an existential wrap-up with our favorite street philosopher, Patrick Carlin, and a lot of improvisational conversation among the topics we will consider and we refers to my co-host Ron Van Wormer who will engineer and participate in the conversation surprise White Castle is offering a healthy food alternative you've got to be kidding me are we witnessing another axial age what the hell's an axial age we might be in one And can you do exorcism over a cell phone? These and other topics we will dive into. And we look forward to having you on the other side participating. We will have some fun. We will achieve some insights. We'll have a few laughs and surprises always find us. So fasten your seatbelts and join us for the Woodstock Roundtable. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. It's time for two hours of Woodstock Roundtable. Good morning, Ron. Good morning. How are, are we living that? in the high desert here? I don't think so. Uh, was it, like 33 degrees it's, this morning? It's cold out there. And going up to the mid-60s? I know. What's going on? We're crossing temperate zones as we speak. Well, listen, it's all about improv. It's Earth Day today. Is it Earth Day? It's Earth Day today. Yeah, it's, uh, t- here's why there's a, a dumb idea. <laughs> you say, well, wait a minute. Why would a progressive say Earth Day? Earth Day? It should be Earth Every Day should be yeah. the name of the... How about Earth Every Day? Every Day. Earth Day? Yeah. You're giving the Earth one day? <laughs> yeah. What an insult to the Earth. It is. It is. You're right. And yet, it's better than no days. I don't agree. Oh, okay. Because it satisfies everybody. Hey, we did Earth Day. We're okay. Right. Now we can go back to being jerks. Now we can go back to ruining. Spoiling the the environment and, you know, screwing things up. So that's why I'm not a big fan of Earth Day. All right. Now, you could break it up into 365 parts. Yeah. So have every day's Earth Day. So, for example, today could be Dirt Day. (laughs) <laughs> and then you could have rock day rock day you could which on this station would make sense yeah we play a lot of rock uh you could have tree day you could have um insect insect day. day yeah well you know maybe one day 
where you where you strategize to do something for the other 364 days. Good luck. I know. But it's, you know. Good chance that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh. We're trying to get rid of straws this year. Plastic straws. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. A lot of beaches are banning them. Because they because plastic straws, there's hundreds of thousands of millions mm-hmm. of straws that end up in the ocean because the beaches have all the plastic straws and plastic. This this will relate to the axial age. All our right. conversation I, about the axial age. I'm we're excited not, about we're that. We're not gonna start that. It's hard to get it's hard to get excited about a lot of things, but it's easy to get excited about an axial age when you when you realize what it is. All right. And we might be in one. Well, I'm looking forward I to think, that. I'm pretty sure we are. But we're gonna start with White Castle because I've said it a lot of times. I'll say it again because we like to recycle our ideas here. Uh, I'm not a big nostalgia guy, uh-huh. even though I do a lot. Of, I host a lot of trivia events. Um, when I first started doing trivia, it was a lot of '60s TV shows and all that nostalgia right. stuff. A little of that, but mostly I, I like general information. But I'm not a big nostalgia guy because to me, nostalgia is the great lie. Nostalgia. Talk about fake news. <laughs> nostalgia is fake news because we don't remember exactly how things happen now i get it i understand the value of nostalgia i understand that kind of warm physical sensation that wafts through the body when you think of something cool or n- nice that happened in the past but we don't remember it as it happened we remember right. it through the filter of everything that's happened since well- I was. Ju- I just recently heard a story uh, uh, and the history of nostalgia, which was a disease. Nostalgia was a disease that actually killed people. <laughs> Truly, people would die of nostalgia. That's what they called it when people were taken away from their homes, and and probably had no chance of ever going back. Ah, they would suffer what was termed nostalgia. Now, here's what's sad about not sad. What's unhealthy about that whole notion? Particularly in the age we live in, where things are changing at a faster pace than ever before in human history. Mm-hmm. Because what's running the show is, is the relationship between the human brain, which works at a certain speed, and computer intelligence, which works at a faster speed. And every day, those two intelligences are relating more and more. Uh-huh. Every time we go on a smartphone, a computer screen an iPad, whatever, that's what's happening. Now, we don't notice that, but that's what's happening. These these computer algorithms are learning more and more about who we are. Mm -hmm. And if we do it right, which in some ways we are, in some ways we aren't, it won't just be about, well, how fast can we get computers to work? It'll be about how do we maximize the relationship between the human brain and computer intelligence? Because we understand that computer intelligence is superior to human intelligence in many, many, many areas. Mm -hmm. And it's getting smarter every minute. Our brains are what they call very plastic, which in neurobiology means adaptable. Yeah. So we are capable of amazing adaptations because our brains are very flexible if we use them properly right but it also there's a lot of anxiety out there because of the speed up of everything that's happening Mm -hmm. and i thought of a line you know the future's coming out is faster than ever (laughs) and that's just a fact yeah now there are advantages and disadvantages to that but um 
with nostalgia, I get it. We are mammals. We build a nest or a home. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm also in real estate. I have a real estate <laughs> license. We, 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 we get, but that's our, that's our nest, our home, our den. Mm-hmm. And we expect to keep that for our whole lives. It's not the way it works. Yeah. And if we were more flexible and adept, certainly it's not what we're taught, we would, if, if we moved away from home or couldn't go back home, we'd create a new one. Mm-hmm. Which is what animals do. Right. They don't sit there going, oh my God, my home was destroyed. <laughs> Someone took a, they build a new one. Huh. You adapt. Um, so nostalgia, I get it. I understand why it's enjoyable. I'm just not a big fan of it. I'm not a big, and again, I don't have kids. It's probably one reason. Uh-huh. But I don't look at photos, a lot of photos of my childhood. I don't, you know what? Good memories. You talk with a friend. You remember something you did. That's great. The further I get away from it, the less I care about it. And that, I think that's the healthy thing. Yeah. Because nostalgia is fake news. Uh-huh. We so, don't remember the way it is. So the reason this so came what up does is, this come up? It has with, nothing to do with that. No, it has something to do with White Castle. All right. Because I do have. I remember White Castle. Ah. A lot of our baby boomer listeners remember White Castle. Right. Now I don't know if White Castle. We could look it up. I don't know if that was a national. I think it Anthony, was, or just kind of regional. I think it was national. There were I, there was a White Castle. I think when I was a kid growing up in Denver. Okay, so I think it was an very early. Yeah, look at a, a, a wiki uh, White Castle. I'm I'm going to guess that it started in the fifties, probably around when McDonald's did, but it was more popular than McDonald's when I was a kid. White Castle was. Do do you remember speaking about this? Do you remember what distinguished the White Castle? It was a fast food joint. Um, do you remember what what um, distinguished the White Castle hamburger from every other hamburger of its time? It was little. It was little. <laughs> it was like a slider, right? In today's exactly. world, exactly, and very inexpensive, which we liked. So you could order, you know, a whole bunch of them. This is before we learned about factory farming and stopped eating that crap. But we're being a little nostalgic. Right, so, so White Castle. I'm guessing fifties. It's uh, an American regional hamburger restaurant chain in the Midwestern and Mid Atlantic regions of the United States, is what it says. 1949. Wow. Um, the price remained ten cents. Ten. Yeah. Oh wait, wait. It started in 1929. What? Yeah. 1929, and the price remained the same until 1949. Think about that. No price change for. And then, even then, it was still, I remember as a kid, it was, it, it was really cheap. And of course, if you put enough ketchup and pickles <laughs> and relish, and then you have the bun, you know, that's what you're really tasting. Yeah. Uh, with, with a little bit of, anyway, what distinguished the White Castle, if by, again, fake news, but this is by memory. Okay. It was square. Yeah. shape. No, you're right. It was square. Every hamburger was round. You're right. oval. It was square. Yeah. And it was a, one of those very early fast food franchise places where there were a whole bunch of them. And it was, we loved it as kids because it was cheap. So you could eat a whole bunch of that crap. And who knew about <laughs> health back then? And it was square. And it was kind of a, kind of a hip little architecture, you know? It yeah. looked like a little white castle, you know, just shaped like a castle. There know? was one on the way from uh, JFK. We used to go when we were coming back from the airport. We would stop. We would pull off the highway wherever it was, and 
you would go inside and it was all bulletproof glass between you and the <laughs> <laughs> it was like six inch glass between you and the and the person and and the burgers came out underneath this glass which was really really thick and and you've sort of felt like uh this is not a safe place to be <laughs> well it was kind of a cool place to hang out a little bit and the reason I'm bringing this up, although I'm going to go off on a little tangent here right. in a moment, I'm bringing this up for a reason because of an article I found. I'll give you the headline, and then I'm going to do a little uh, uh, veer off a little bit. Okay. White Castle becomes the first fast food chain, fasten your seatbelts, to serve a plant-based burger. Wow. Who would have bet on that? <laughs> That's like saying, oh, the makers of uh, Wrigley's chewing gum uh, is now coming up with a uh, chewing gum made with no sugar that promotes health. And seaweed. (laughs) Seaweed (laughs) chewing gum that improves your brain function. Right. Would be no more strange than White Castle, which we love because it was inexpensive and crappy and you just put a lot of ketchup Mm. and relish on the damn thing and just ate it and shut up yeah uh is serving plant-based burgers (laughs) but i digress oh please this was not a franchise and this is why i'm a terrible entrepreneur and never ask me for financial advice except when it comes to real estate because that's that i'm licensed and i understand (laughs) and that's because I would have, at age 12, said, okay, I'll sign a contract that every dollar I make as an adult will go into investing into this restaurant and getting it to become a chain like White Castle because it'll take off like crazy. The restaurant lasted about eight months. Oh. It was out of business. Oh. And it wasn't about the food. The food was fine. It was basically luncheonette-type food. Uh-huh. It was called the Hamburger Express. And I asked if we could, that's where I had my like 10th birthday. Uh-huh. I asked my parents, they said, what, what do you want to do for your birthday? I want, to, I want to have my friends to the Hamburger Express. Okay. It's somewhere in New Jersey. I think they only had one store. It lasted eight months. <laughs> I thought it was the most brilliant idea in the world. And it failed miserably. You ready? You know what the hamburger? You know what the the the, the gimmick of the Hamburger Express was? It was basically your, your standard was food. Was it square? Nope. Um, what do you think? Take a guess. It wasn't round. It had, <laughs> what made it unique was not the food. Ah. Mmm. Hamburger Express. Yep. So get off the hamburger. Nothing okay. to do with, Hamburger is perfectly decent hamburger for people who ate hamburgers back then like me. It's how it was uh, 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 yeah, yeah. made? No. Served? Yes. How it was served? How it was served was the whole gimmick. Oh. Brilliant. Okay. Out of business in eight months. <laughs> Obviously. Genius. Hamburger Express. Someone out there's got it. They would throw it at you <laughs> as you came in. No, but it was how it was del- it was how it was served. Um a conveyor belt? Close. Yeah. Very there, much close. There's sushi now. conveyor belt places now. I don't know about that. I'm yeah. not a sushi guy. Yeah, there's sushi conveyor belt. You can just it just goes around and you can just take it off the conveyor belt as it's going around. This is this is in that na- you're in the right neighborhood. Okay. 
When you think of an express, what do you think of? Uh, a train. You got it. It was on a train? No. It, oh, it was delivered by a train. Correct. Oh. They had a, uh, like a Lionel train, that huge, tr- on tracks, model, model uh-huh. train. It was a semi-circular counter okay. that you would sit at. Big counter. Could probably sit 40, 50 people. <laughs> they, it had a, it had a Lionel train track and a Lionel train, <clears throat> and on the car was like a belt that they would fasten the the plate to. Okay. And your hamburger and your French fries <laughs> and whatever other crap we ate back then was delivered by the train. Yeah. Right to your seat. The Hamburger Express. I would have I would have signed a contract there. Every penny I make invested in this restaurant. This can't fail. Uh huh. What a brilliant idea. It got so old so fast. <laughs> you know what I'm By the third time you're in there, you say, I just want my hamburger. I'm waiting for the, the train. train. Where's you know? the train? Where the hell's the train? The train's late again. Yeah. 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 Anyway. That's funny. There was a restaurant chain that had phones at the uh, table, and you would order by phone. I like that, too. And then the waitress would bring the food, but she never came to the table to take your order. That went out of business, too. <laughs> <laughs> All the ideas I love go out of business. I know. All right. So White Castle. Go figure. Um, now, let's see here. This is from some blog. Um Let's see. McDonald's is serving vegan burgers. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Um, I wonder how many they're selling. Be very curious. Let's see. Um, Figured it wouldn't be too long before a major fast food chain started doing the impossible. White Castle. Now we've reached that point. Specifically, White Castle, home of the original slider, as you you pointed out, is aiming to lure vegetarians and now, I hadn't heard this term before. shows I'm spending too much time <laughs> reading and writing and doing things and not being out in the world. All right. I did not hear, I was not familiar with the term flexitarian. No, that's new to me. Flexitarian. Wiki that one. I mean, <laughs> I, can, I can assume what it means is, is that people who aren't necessarily vegetarians, but I would be a flexitarian if, I underst- if, if, I'm, if I'm intuiting what it means. I am not a vegetarian, but I focus on eating more and more plant-based foods and less and less meat. So it's a term uh, defined as a person whose normally meatless diet occasionally includes meat or fish. We, so I'm not a flexitarian because I eat more meat than that. My nephew calls them um, uh, beady-eyed vegetarians <laughs> because they eat anything with beady eyes but nothing with big, sultry, sad eyes. All right, I get so it. So it's okay to eat fish and shrimp. So we're now into eye size. Exactly. So well, if you've got sad eyes, you can't eat them. Yeah, we need another term for, I guess, me. I'm. Uh, well, I call myself an advocate of the Mediterranean. Uh-huh. They call it the Mediterranean diet, but the Mediterranean way of eating, which is basically if you go to Italy, most areas of Italy, France, Spain, Greece, North Africa, you order a chicken dish or a fish dish it's not a huge huge humongous piece of chicken and fish it's a moderate piece of chicken and fish with a good vegetable and mm-hmm. a good either some rice or pasta but here's the the difference the the meat is not factory farmed 
Yeah. It comes from a local farm. It was raised on real food and pasture, not on chemicals. Right. It was treated more properly. Um, that's what I would call myself. Yeah. But I am eating. I am focused on eating, increasing the percentage of plant-based foods that I eat because we've been reporting on health on this program for 38 freaking years. <laughs> and a lot of trends come and go. And a lot of information that was accepted as true turns out not to be true. But so you look at the long term, what's been pretty much over time true and uh-huh. proven. And it's that you need to be somewhat flexible when you eat. You need to source your ingredients. And you shouldn't be eating fast food and factory farm food Yeah, for both health and, hum- and ethical reasons. It's just obvious. And you, at least half of what you eat should be plant-based. Right. It's not complicated. When I eat meat of any kind, it's usually a four-ounce portion of meat. There you go. That's instead of a 16-ounce steak. Which I, I can't imagine 12, how anybody even could. Even 12 ounces, which uh, I used to wolf down yeah. at Tad's Steakhouse in college, like the whatever it was, three ninety nine for a steak dinner. Uh-huh. And there was a reason it was three ninety nine. It was crap. <laughs> it was big. But it, hey, it, if it had enough salt on it, yeah. and you put enough hot sauce on it, who cared? But four ounces is enough for, you yeah. know. So at any rate, flexitarian. At any, but anyway, I like that. White Castle. Luring vegetarians and flexitarians alike has a slider from a, a, a company called Impossible Foods. It's a mix. Oh. It's a burger mix. According to um, critics, the initial launch covers 140 restaurants around New York, New Jersey, and Chicago. White Castle's going all out on the promotion. Um, food critics are saying what? Um, you can't tell the difference because there's so much, there's so little of it. She says it's not really holding its own against the high-end grass-fed beef, but in White Castle, the opposite is true. It's intensively raised fast food beef that we need to replace, (laughs) and happily intensively raised fast food beef may be easier to replicate. Let's see if White Castle can make this slider stick. So I never thought I would see this in my lifetime. No. And I am still not optimistic about our species. I just, I'm not. Homo sapiens <laughs> has basically, I give, I give us as a species over the last three, mille, you know, three millennia, a C plus B minus. Okay. We make progress, but boy, it's slow and it's pulling teeth. Yeah. And how could, how could we still have so many damn Americans obese and diabetic with all the crap and so uh, it's just overwhelming but this is let's look at some bright spots here yeah do you think that mcdonald's is doing its vegan burger and white castle doing a plant-based burger or doing it out of the goodness of their hearts no you're so cynical i know they're doing it because and this is my mom my new mom it's not my new mantra but i realize how important it is I get that it's important to vote politically. Yeah. I'm just so unimpressed with both political parties that while I do vote, mm-hmm. I wouldn't lose sleep if I didn't. I'm sorry. That's just the way I feel. But what's m- I agree that voting p- politically is important. What is significantly more important than that, because it's more effective, 
is to realize that every wherever we spend our money, we are making a very, very powerful vote. Yeah. And that's the point I've tried to make to friends for decades. I've given up because I still have friends who I love dearly who, to save a dollar on bathroom tissue, go to Walmart. It drives me freaking crazy. <laughs> to support a business in Arkansas that's hiring people at minimum wage to, rather than spend another dollar for at a local store to support someone who lives here. It drives me nuts. Yeah. But that's the point. So these fast food companies who I'd like to wipe off the planet um, are, are people have voted with their dollars. Yeah. And we, we are in a economic system, which unless it changes <clears throat> is based on the profit motive. First, second, and third, <clears throat> first, second, and third profit. How do I maximize my profit? Right. So, Obviously, at least a sliver of that has to do with doing the right thing because, well, if you want a burger and you've got a friend who's a vegetarian, you can bring him along to the fast food place now. And maybe you taste it and you realize, hmm, not so bad. Yeah. Um, now, they're getting smart. There's, there's a guy, he graduated Columbia, and he's got this product where they, as part of the veggie burger, they use cooked beets. Because the beets serve two purposes. Beets give a little sweetness. Uh-huh. And they also cook it so that when you bite into it, you get a little red liquid coming out. Because uh-huh. we're mammals. <laughs> and that blood tastes good. We are mammals. Uh-huh. And part of what attracts us to that meat is the blood. Yeah. That, that, that pink color. Or that little red that comes out. Yeah. yeah. So um, you Very can get that clever. with beets. Very clever. Yeah. So say C plus B minus to our species because we have a few A plus, <laughs> a few A plus students out there. Some entrepreneurs. Who are not only really smart financially, but are doing the right thing. White Castle, a plant-based burger. GMOs? I don't know. Probably. Who knows? <laughs> it's probably all... All you know, chemically created. Pro- it probably bought from a farm that the Koch brothers were, you know? I mean, I'm like, you can't have everything. Let's take a break. Choose such cool music for the breaks. What was that? That's Iggy. Iggy Pop. That's Lust, Iggy. Lust for Life. 71 years old today. That's why I put that on. Uh, this is the Woodstock Roundtable. Doug Grunthy, your host, co-hosting Ron Van Wormer, who is Radio Woodstock's weekend on-air warrior. Uh, we will 
be getting some music from the Sultan of Sonic Soul. Mm-hmm. We will be visited by someone who comes on our show, Fairmount. Um, we really love her. Joan Apter, who's an expert in aromatherapy, brings in all these amazing mm. scents that are healing and fun. And uh, So she'll be in. And Charlie Rosen is a really fine sports journalist. And he's written a book about a lot of the excessive behavior, particularly in the 80s in the NBA and uh. how that, what that portended for today. And listen, I've been a sports nut as a kid because my father was. And I've always loved sports. Uh, and I love really good sports journalism because I love sports just for what they are, you know, watching it. Um, but I also love it culturally. And how we relate to sports figures and um, how sports has changed over the years. Yeah. Economically and aesthetically. So we'll get into all that with Charlie Rosen, who whose expertise is basketball, but can talk about all sports. Yeah. Um, and we'll have a wrap-up with uh, Patrick Carlin, our favorite existential philosopher. So the axial age. Yeah. Um, it was a term coined by the German philosopher Carl Jaspers. Axial means pivotal. Okay. Right? Some, when something really turns. And he was referring to our ancient history from about the 8th to the 8th to the 3rd century BCE. See, and I I thought when when I read that and when I heard that that it was about the um, the automobile. No. And that the age of the the axial age. That's the axial <laughs> age. This is the axial age. Oh, yeah. Thank you for making that important distinction. Yeah. Um, and what he was referring to is that during that age, for reasons we still can't quite figure out, and that's the mystery of it, that at a time when there was very little communication between Asia, Greece, and the Middle East, Yet, there was a flowering of intellectual activity and spiritual progress um, that seemed very connected. So, how did that happen when there wasn't much communication Mm. at all? Because during that period, you have the Buddha in India, you have Lao Tzu and Confucius in China, you have the writers of the Bible and the development of the Golden Rule in the Middle East. Egypt had its thing going um, uh, with astronomy and the beginnings of science. It all kind of flowered during that period. I said, that's a long period, 500 years. But 500 years today would be like three years. Yeah. So he referred it to it as the ax- an axial age. And... Um, he identified a number of key thinkers as having had a profound influence on future philosophies and religions and identified characteristics common to each area from which those thinkers emerged. He held up this age as unique and one to which the rest of history of human thought might be compared. Confucius and Lao Tzu, who we think wrote the Tao Ching, my mm-hmm. favorite spiritual book, were living in China. All the schools of Chinese philosophy came into being, including those of Chuangzi, another great Taoist, India produced the Upanishads and the Buddha, and like China, ran a whole range of philosophical possibilities, 
In Iran, Zarathustra taught a challenging view of the world as a struggle between good and evil. In Palestine, the prophets made their appearance from Elijah by way of Isaiah, Jeremiah. Greece witnessed the appearance of Homer, the great Iliad and the Odyssey. The Iliad, still the greatest war story ever told. And what is the... Uh, and what, what is the basic theme of that story? No one wins a war. Mm. No one wins. It's just a tragedy. Yeah. Um, you had Homer, you had Parmenides, you had Heraclitus, you had Plato. All, how is all this happening at the same time? And they didn't communicate. No, you had the great Greek uh, tragedy, right? You know, you had uh, Archimedes, mm-hmm. uh, Euclid. Um, suddenly you have math, you have geometry, all this is flowering in different areas that weren't in touch with each other. Um, this all developed in a, in a few centuries, almost simultaneously in China, India, and the West. Um, <clears throat> now, I would say that there was a second axial age. It was the what we call the Renaissance. Yeah, I was thinking that myself. Which, in about 300 years... We think of the Renaissance as the Italian Renaissance, but in fact, it, it, it spread to, sp- to Spain, France, Germany. Our modern capitalism emerged out of um, Protestantism, which, and pr- what is the root of Protestant? Protest. Right. The Protestants, Martin Luther, had the, um, what's the word I want to use? Testicles to... Um, <laughs> To stand up to the Catholic Church. Right. That usually meant instant either excommunication or death. And he said, wait a minute. You're trying to tell me and my followers that to get to heaven, I have to pay for it? Mm-hmm. Because the Catholic Church would sell you the rights to heaven. And Martin Luther said, what kind of shell game is that? <laughs> and then create, and then... The whole idea of Protestantism, the, the Protestant ethic was you work hard, and I'm not a big fan of the Protestant ethic, but let's give it his credit. You work hard, you work on your own, and you you deserve to prosper. Mm-hmm. And this all happened within a couple hundred years. Yeah. Um, so a, a flowering, if you will, a philosophy, spirituality, um, science, art. Um, why did it happen during those 300 years, you know? Well, we may be in one now. Uh-huh. It's a little tougher to find because we're so aware of what's going on. Think about it. If you were a, let's say, you were a, uh, in the, it, during the Renaissance, you were in a guild. You, let's say, were a talented, you worked on, a, with, with, on construction in a guild, mm-hmm. which is what they called it. Um, and you got paid a decent amount of money, and you lived a decent life. You had enough food. Uh, you had enough clothing. Um, you had your circle of friends. Um, but there weren't books, not until the printing press, which was uh-huh. later in the Renaissance. You didn't have books. The Catholic Church controlled information, except what you might hear in a cafe or on the streets in conversation. Mm-hmm. And... So you wouldn't, you would have a sense that something was going on, right? But you wouldn't have a big, you wouldn't have the full picture. Now, we know, we can know everything that's going on. Everywhere. So it appears that 
the world's in total chaos when, as you've pointed out, statistically it's been proven we live in the safest time in human history. Right. But we're so aware of everything, which ought to be an advantage rather than being blind to it uh, or deaf to it. Um, it creates a lot of anxiety. We're in information overload. But this computer intelligence, if we use it right, can make us significantly more intelligent. It depends how we connect with it. And, you know, if we use it simply for buying stuff that we don't need mm -hmm. um, and just playing video games, well, okay, that's not going to create a flowering. Right. But if you dig a little deeper and you realize that there, Oxford has a institute for the future of the brain. Um, <laughs> MIT has the originator of the web. Um, they're saying it's not just about profit. We're trying to create a web that's just more intelligent and that works better with the human brain. I mean, this is going on. Yeah. At the same time, you have Mark Zuckerberg in front of Congress basically laughing at them. And why shouldn't he? They can't stop him. They can, eh, they can make his life a little tougher. Uh -huh. But he's got much more leverage than Congress has. Um, so it's an interesting time. And if we play it right, it can be an axial age because this computer intelligence is, is something more powerful on the intelligence scale than we've ever seen before. Do you think axial ages are compressing in terms of the first one was a 500-year stretch, the Renaissance perhaps a 300-year stretch? This could be just a 100-year stretch right here. Um, according to the people I've read, if you want to take the low and the high range, it's going to be anywhere from, I mean, I think we're in it, uh -huh. but I think it's going to accelerate depending upon who you want to accept, uh, anywhere from the next 20 to a hundred years, things are going to, we're not going to recognize, we'll have no recognition mm -hmm. from what it is 20 to a hundred years from now, from what we, where we are today. Wow. It'll, it'll be somewhat akin to what it would have taken probably 5,000 years yeah. in the past. Right. So the, here's the difference. During the first axial age, very few individual human beings were aware of what was going on. Right. During the so-called Renaissance, very few people but much more than during the first axial age. Now we all have the capacity to know what's going on if we choose to. Yeah. There's a lot of distractions out there too. <laughs> yes, there are. So it's going to take a little bit of work. But anyway, so are we in an axial age? Um, I would say yes. Um, and uh, we we'll, might have time to get to an article which inspired me to look into that because... Uh, and the article, if you want to read it, is called, it's, uh, like the ancients, we have gods, they'll get greater. Hmm. And it kind of takes a little bit of a Jungian approach that the gods are really psychological forces within the human mind. They exist. The gods exist. But they're not literal gods. They're psychological, they're the emanations of psychological desires, fears, um, and insights. Um, so our ancients, <clears throat> a big thunderstorm came on, right? Right. There's no science. Why wouldn't you think that there must be some deity that's cre that's just that creating thunder? 
So there was a God of thunder. There was a God of lightning. There was a God of sun. There was a sun God. Right. There was the plant God. There was the animal God. There the was rain the, God. The rain God. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. It's an explanation. It's an explanation. It made as much sense as anything else. Uh-huh. Um, but now, even with our modern science, we have our internal gods. Um, you know, it might be LeBron James or uh, a great athlete. It might be, you know, Michael Jordan. It might be, unfortunately, and I remember this in the 90s, every time I passed a newsstand, I was living in, this, uh, uh, you know, when you used to have newsstands. Right. And you'd look at um, Newsweek and Time, U.S. World and News Reports. Every freaking cover every week was a CEO of some company. Uh-huh. They were the gods. Right. These are the, hey, these are the, they were primarily men, occasionally women, who are making all the money. They must be the gods. Yeah. So we still have gods. They're psychological. And um, uh, at any rate, that, that's what brought that up is, is um, uh, this notion. But I love this article because the headline, alone, it almost, you don't have to read it. The article. <laughs> because the headline's enough. It's enough, huh? It's just sometimes you just want the headline, and then it, you just move on. That works. We'll go into the article a little bit, but you don't okay. have to. Right. <laughs> the headline is enough. Uh, give me that headline. <clears throat> uh, hey, Gus, how you doing? I'm fine, Dad. You, give me a little fanfare, would you? A fanfare? <laughs> yeah, give me a fanfare. <laughs> before I, yeah, <laughs> Come on, give me a little sax fanfare here for the headline. I got a great headline coming up here. It deserves... <clears throat> a little sultan sound. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All right. <Very> nice. <laughs> nice. You ready for the headline? You go, Doug. Shut up, Satan. Rome course teaches exorcism by cell phone. Whoa. You're dying. We don't need anything else. Drop the microphone. That's it. Let's go home. Yeah. <laughs> so, so... So the Catholic Church is saying that you can exercise. Oh, exorcisms are still being done. But, but by cell phone. Yes. <laughs> Why not? Um, Father Cardenas, a 36-year-old Catholic cardinal, <clears throat> came to Rome to learn about exorcisms because he thinks it's a gift. He wanted to share with his parishioners back in Spain. Uh, he was one of 300 Roman Catholics mostly clerics, but also lay people, including women. Well, hey, ecumenical. church is getting real liberal here. They let I women in. I guess. Um, What's next? They're going to drive in. You need a letter from your bishop. You know, you need a letter from your mother to get out of school, you know, the medical, <laughs> or a letter from your doctor. <clears throat> you need a letter from your bishop. See, I can't get a... I can get a letter from my rook, but I can't get one from my bishop. <laughs> I got a pawn or two that I can... To attend the 13th annual week-long exorcism and prayer of liberation course that organizers re hope recruit and train armies of potential exorcists to confront spreading demonic forces. Mmm, those damn demonic Participants forces. paid about 372 <clears throat> They probably got more than you got from Trump <laughs> University. Um to attend the sessions sponsored by the by Catholic groups and held at the Pontifical University Regina Apost <clears throat> Apostolorum. Mm. <laughs> um, Love that place. Hmm. This, by the way, you know, 
again, great entrepreneurial <laughs> idea. But then again, I was going to invest all my money in the Hamburger Express. Right. Um, free, let's market this thing. Football's become the most popular sport in America, right? Right. Not baseball. You can call it your national pastime all you want. And baseball teams are making a lot of money. Football runs the game, right? Let's set up a, a, ma- a fo- like a football type match between between demonic forces and exorcists. Yes, that's a brilliant idea. It's great theater in a stadium, and and it, you could bet you know, go to Vegas and Lloyd's of London and put bets down. Oh, b- brilliant! By yeah. the way, demonic force would be about a four to one favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> that's where my <clears throat> money, that's where my money is. The Pope recently had conservative head spinning. By the way, there's an image I like. <laughs> conservative head spinning? When he was quoted incorrectly, according to the Vatican, by an Italian reporter as not believing in hell. In fact, the Pope often speaks about the devil in this month's apostolic exhortation. Another, these phrases, I'll tell you, give, I got to give religion credit for three things. Three. Three things. Three? <clears throat> yeah. Some of the most beautiful architecture human beings have ever created. Yep. Some of the most magnificent music human beings have ever composed. Mm Mm-hmm. And some really cool, crazy language. (laughs) (laughs) Little, yeah. And hats, like George Collin would say. (laughs) And very good hats. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes. Insights into the creator, and not so much. (laughs) uh, Not important. Right. Um, Let's see. What was that? Apostolic exhortation. Um, he said epilepsy could be easily confused with demonic possession. The faithful should not conclude that all cases related in the gospel had to do with psychological disorders, and hence the devil does not exist or is not at work. Um, at any rate, <clears throat> people paid 372 bucks to go to this, if, put on by a Catholic organization on um, exorcism and prayer of liberation. Now, we're having some fun with this, but I got to tell you something that really gave a very, I'm going to call it a positive chill down my spine. Right. I haven't talked about this in a long time. Do you remember the name M. Scott Peck? (sighs) M. Scott Peck was, I think he was from Connecticut. He was a psychiatrist, and he wrote a book, I'm guessing in the 70s, called The Road Less Traveled. Sounds familiar. It sold... A gazillion copies. And it was basically a very well-written, I call it kind of -of middle-of-the-road spiritual book. In other words, very easy to understand. um, Very popular book about spirituality. Written by a psychiatrist. Billions of copies. Then about... Five years later, under pressure from his publisher, he writes a sequel to it, uh-huh. whatever the name was. And that sold a gazillion copies. And I remember reading the book and thinking it was okay. It was okay. Good book. Nice book. You know, nothing doesn't really test you and push uh-huh. you, but, you know, gives you a little survey of spiritual disciplines and things like that. In between, I found I don't, how I, this book found me in one of those great old bookstores that when I was living in the city, you know, on Fourth Avenue, that are cavernous, you know. It's like it's it's like being in a catacomb and you, thousands of these 
arcane books, and I'm just down there amidst the dust and all these books, you know, and, you know, there's a little slim volume. It's just, just kind of jumping out at me, and and I bought it, and it was by M. Scott Peck, yeah. and he wrote it in between the two gazillion seller books, and it sold like 14 copies. <laughs> and it was about, I'm guessing, 80 pages long. And it was called People of the Lie. Could you wiki that for me? People, because again, nostalgia. My brain could be totally out. I could be totally wrong. So <laughs> as I remember it, people of the lie, and it was M. Scott Peck's take on evil, and it was brilliant for two reasons. One, here's what I remember: he narrated the story of a client of his. These parents, these wealthy, waspy parents, proper to the nines, right? With that, you know, kind of Oxford accent, even though they're American, and, um, uh, you know, <laughs> tweed, a lot of tweed. <laughs> and they came in with their young son. And they were telling M. Scott Peck, the psychiatrist, that the parents are saying, we're very bright, um, we give our kid everything, you know, any any kid could want. And he's failing in school. And it's just terrible. The mother, I believe, insisted on coming to each session. And M. Scott Peck is a really shrewd, smart guy, smart psychiatrist. And it, he figured out very quickly, the problem wasn't the kid. The problem was the mother and the father. Because while, and during the session, this is my memory, the mother would say, all these lovely things, he, Peck understood, could see that, that the parents were totally controlling their kid's mind. Mm. That basically, they were letting him know, whether it was consciously or unconsciously, um, do what we tell you to do. Um, or you're not worth anything. And this kid didn't know how to rebel against that. And so he rebelled by failing in school. And the mother, and he goes into the fact that, and he says, now how is this evil? Evil, we normally think of people with hatchets and, 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 and in, uh, semi-automatic weapons and serial killers. And right, that's what we normally think of as evil. And what M. Scott Peck was saying was, no, 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 no. That's evil, but that's very rare. The more um, insidious evil is the one that doesn't appear like it. Mm. But it's just as evil because these parents, they said, with all their proper behavior and, 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 and educated accents, would not let this kid breathe on his own. <laughs> and when he tried to help them understand that she ended the sessions like that wow well he, that's what it says here in this in in this uh, i wikied it it was first published in 1983 people of the lie uh followed on from peck's first book peck describes the stories of several people who came to him whom he found particularly resistant to any form of help he came to think of them as evil because they resisted any form of help it went beyond that because if you personally choose not to accept health, that's your choice. That's not evil. 
But if you're manipulating someone else and creating tremendous hurt on somebody else mm. and you refuse to acknowledge it, he's saying that's evil. Right. And it was brilliantly written. But here's why you say, well, what does this have to do with exorcism? Well, if you listen to the show, most of what we say has nothing to do with anything we said before, but there actually is a connection. There is a connection. Of course there is. As I remember it, the last chapter in this very thin book, which was riveting, was about M. Scott Peck, this psychiatrist, attending an exorcism. Ah. And it read like The Exorcist, the movie. Wow. It was frightening. Wow. And he claims he witnessed this. Hmm. Well, now he wasn't saying he bought into the whole all the religious thinking and furnishings that surrounded it, but he claims to have witnessed the whole the shaking of the bed, the whole room getting cold, all, all that. He 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 claims he experienced it and. Um, and that there's something, since he's a psychiatrist, there was something psychiatrically and psychologically to the process. Okay. But was there a spirit involved? I don't remember. And I, but I just know, I, what I remember is M. Scott, I, my memory is uh, that, I'll have to go back and read it, is that he was not ascribing to the religious hmm. part of it. He wasn't saying there is a devil. He wasn't saying there, there was a spirit. He was saying, remember, he's a psychiatrist. Right. He was saying that, first of all, he was reporting on the physical uh, uh, things that were going on. That read right out of the script of The Exorcist. Wow. And I, I don't remember his commentary, other than the fact that, to me, what was brilliant about the book is to point out that evil is not always easy to identify. Uh, yeah. Hollywood would have us believe it's, it's, it's easy. You know, it's all out in the open. Right. Um, no. And that's not true. There have been movies. I'm trying to think of an example. Oh, my God. What was that movie? I know. We're going to do a break. Uh, <laughs> Alec Baldwin plays this evil doctor. And Nicole Kidman plays this evil wife and mother. But they are very proper. That would be a great example of a movie which showed how evil can be so under the surface. Alec Baldwin, Nicole Kidman, uh, Malice? Uh, I think it's called Malice. I don't see That's that. That's what just anything. jumped into oh, yes, my brain. Oh, yes, it is. Malice. Malice. 1993. Oh! There you go. There it is. Oh! <laughs> they right were up. evil. Mm. But they didn't look evil. Ah. <laughs> they yeah. didn't really act evil. But oh, sometimes you good. Sometimes we don't recognize evil until after the fact. Now, who was the, the actor who played the good husband? Was he in a root for was he in for a rude in, awakening? In malice. Yeah. Let's see. Bill, what's his name? Um, Pullman. Bill Pullman. Very good. Well done, Doug. I gotta go. I gotta check that out again. Malice. Ooh, and M. Scott Peck, People of the Lie. Yeah, 80 pages. I, I'll, I'll 80 that pages? <laughs> That's my kind of book. <laughs> I, I know. That's why it was screaming at you in the, in the bookstore. But of course, it's so... Welcome to our culture. 
Not that they weren't good books, but The Road Less Traveled and the, and the sequel, which are kind of like, hey, this will be comfortable for you. Here's a little bit about spirituality. Billions of copies. Right. People of the library say, okay, now I'm going to tell you about something. It's sold about 14 copies. <laughs> Chicken soup for the soul. There you go. By the way, uh, if I had a magic wand, uh-huh. First thing I would do is eliminate factory farming of animals. <laughs> the second thing I would do is get rid of all those chicken soup books. <laughs> we'll be right back. Come on, hold me tight. 